We were trying to be everything to everyone. We were trying to please this community that we grew. We were trying to say yes to things. And you do feel that way. You feel very committed to your customer. And so we were saying yes to a lot of things and we decided at the end, end of last year to totally laser focus, to just cut 60% of them. Wow. Hello, and you're very welcome along to People Building Businesses, the brand new podcast from YBF Ventures. My name is Jason Lim. I'm the chief of staff here at YBF, and the goal of the podcast is to find out how businesses grow by talking to the people that are actually doing it. This week's guest is Coat Like a Girl CEO and co-founder Ellie Watson. With a background in computer science, Ellie embarked on a career as a software engineer and developer before founding social enterprise Coat Like a Girl in 2015. Code Like a Girl is best known for running coding workshops for girls aged between 6 and 18, but it does a lot more and the startup has reached over 2,000 girls over the past two years. The Sydney Morning Herald named Ali as one of Australia's nine most influential female entrepreneurs of 2017, and her and her team have picked up numerous more accolades along the way. So before we get into it, you can subscribe to People Building Businesses in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Okay, let's talk to Ali Watson. Welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. And, uh, you know, I'd I love to start these interviews um, by understanding Ali Watson, the person. Um, could you tell us where you grew up and how would you describe your childhood, especially as it relates to how you eventually developed your love for technology? Mm, we're going deep straight away. We're going we are. Serious questions. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Scotland, but more specifically, I grew up in a very um, small town called Airdrie. Um, Airdrie is your kind of run-of-the-mill, working-class um, little little city, little town. Um, I grew up in a house full of women, so um, my mum was a single mum. I grew up with three big sisters, three yep. crazy lovely um big sisters and um yeah i had i had quite a, a very stereotypical upbringing as a, as a ghetto um my my uh, role models when i was younger were like the spice girls mm. <laughs> um so i think early on when i think back of my my life i i didn't know technology was kind of forecasted for me i, okay. I, I never saw myself um of doing that um but yeah airdrie's where i grew up when i um eventually moved into my teenage years I moved to the big city the big smoke which was Glasgow yep. <laughs> um, and I spent my life um, staying in Glasgow up until 25 and that's when I moved to Melbourne awesome and um, you're now an entrepreneur running your own company were there early signs that you would develop that kind of risk-taking attitude and um, I guess entrepreneurial spirit I think I've always been quite entrepreneurial. I don't think I realized it and I think part of the entrepreneur's journey is you do so much self-reflection um, because you kind of want to understand why you've got this wild ambition that cannot be, cannot cannot be controlled. Yeah. Um. And so I I often reflect on where did this start? What age was I when I was first kind of had this in me? And I think yep. I've, I think I've always been a creator. Like I've always been a maker. I've always thought, you know, I'll invent something or I'll make something and and I'll make a business around it. Um. That was always kind of something. 
I think that creative person in me. Um, so I thought originally, you know, it was going to be art school. I okay. had, to, had to use my creative powers. And I don't know where I got that from. I think a lot of girls like growing up in my generation, they must have saw um, like She's All That. <laughs> okay. Thought, have you seen that movie? <laughs> I have not. No, I have to admit okay. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's like a 90s movie. She's All That. <laughs> um, but yeah, art just seemed like something that was um, something that was for me. And, and I would I would draw like my favorite band members faces like over and over again when I was a teenager um and so when I went into high school um yeah I thought I'll set my sights on art school I'll get the best grades I'll I'll put this amazing portfolio of artwork together um and apply for art school and there's one of the most prestigious art schools in the world is Glasgow's uh, Rennie McIntosh Art right. School. okay interesting okay um, so that was where I was destined for um but I got rejected I got rejected oh. um from Glasgow Art School, Dundee right. Art School, Edinburgh Art School wow you know every art school pretty much in the country rejected me um and I didn't give up like not straight away I um I spent another two years working on a portfolio on life drawing classes, sculpture classes, wow. you know, photography, darkroom classes, like learned a lot, definitely expanded my skill set, um, but still just couldn't, couldn't get into art school. And it was just the most like torturous time as, as a, as a young adult, because you, I was just feeling in front of everybody, like everybody who knew me hmm. knew that, you know, Ali's a creative type. She loves drawing and art, you know, and to have to tell everyone like your family, your friends that you just you're like, nah, I just can't. It's yeah. not good enough. You know? in, in many ways, that's like the entrepreneurial journey or being a founder. You, you have yeah. rejections and you need to develop that kind of persistence <laughs> totally. and that grit. That grit um, that so it sounds like you've built it from a very young age. Yeah. And I think probably that's always been in me. My mum, my like when I was growing up, she had it. Like she, she wore her grip like on her sleeve. She had to work super hard when she was younger. Um, you know, she didn't grow up in a society that I grew up in. Gender inequality was way worse than it is today. Mm. You know, she wasn't encouraged to go to university or get educated or, or aim for a profession, a, a, a sort of um, educated profession. And so for her, when my parents divorced, she was, she was stuck. She didn't have skills to get her you know, a reasonably um, financial stable job. Yep. Um, so she had to go back to university when we were all, I think I was like seven years old when she went back to uni wow. um, to get her degree. And so I I can't imagine how hard that was. You know, she really put her poker face on. Um, and so for me, I've always been, I've always had that really strong role model in my life mm. that has showed me that you work hard and you get, you get what you work for. Um, so that was something I definitely was exposed to and I think is one of the, the makers of who I am yep. this this woman this amazing woman who showed me what it's like um and and so that's always that that probably is a big part of why I've I've gone through what I've gone through and I've I've stuck it out um because watching her never fail for her for her children and and make sure that um you know that you just you kind of give it your all um, yeah. So I think that's that has that and the, all, the failure of art school and then um, and that kind of that drove me to my plan B, which was computer science. OK. And um, uh, what sparked that plan B? Where do you get that inspiration from to jump into computer science, which is such a big difference yeah. to the arts? I really wish that I had a better story yep. <laughs> for this part, because Go everyone asks me this all the time, like yep. um, like school, like magazines. They're always just like, and what inspired you to get into technology? Um Honestly, it was it was it was just circumstances 
Glasgow University had a clearing list. And a clearing list is basically a leftover list of courses that have spots left in the courses. Um, it was too late. I'd already been rejected from my, my last art school submission. Mm. It was too late to apply for universities. You know, they have like special application times and interview times. So we were like two months before uni started and this list was in front of me. Um, and there was software engineering and computer science. And I looked at it and I thought, well, I have a background, like I love maths, right? I'm good at maths. I love art, I'm good at art. I did graphic design at school. Um, I did information systems, which yep. was technology, um, but it wasn't compute. It wasn't computing and it wasn't programming. Sure. But, um, I thought, you know, I had I had that down. I thought I could confidently apply for this, see if I like it. If it's not for me, what is the worst that can happen? I drop out. I choose something out next year when I've got time to apply. So that really was my logic. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and choosing computer science as a degree and um, it worked out. And it totally worked out. Honestly, I I fell in love with with computing. Um, the class was was funny, right? So my first day of computer science, I walk in and you see me before you. Yep. <laughs> and it's just like, I just looked, I just looked odd. They were just like, are you, are you supposed to be here? Right. Um, it was a very male dominated class. Um, yep. and, and not just that, someone of my background, like that creative background was really odd to be in that computer science class. Um, and I remember feeling at first, like how isolated it was and, and just how not, I just didn't have a lot in common with a, a lot of people, which, you know, we go to university, not just for skills. We go for that life experience, for freshers week, for, you know, hanging out and going to clubs and like becoming an adult, you know, it's all part of that university experience. Um, yep. And so I was really worried at first that I wouldn't get that and that my friends were off going to freshers week with all their, their girls in the class that they had and I had no girls. Sure. Um, and so it was a really different yeah, it was different. The expectation didn't meet up for me. I thought uni would be something and it, and it was something different. Okay. Um, but that different ended up being amazing. Um, yeah. I always describe it like the breakfast club. Okay. That's an interesting analogy. <laughs> it's the first time I've heard of it, but keep going. So we were all like a bit odd. Okay. Uh, like like the, the people I ended up friends with, we were all kind of a bit different. Our backgrounds were all different. Um, I was I was definitely like the social one. I would um, take the guys on like pub crawl okay interesting <laughs> they've yeah. never been on pub crawls before oh wow um and then they would take me to like chess club and i would learn chess for the first time and yep. then in our final year like we made a chess game so it was just this strange experience where i had to come out of myself i had to to open myself up to um different people that i had never really naturally came across from my own so social circles or interests and passions like these were people who just were so different from me yeah um and and it was just like a really it was the first time I realized like what diversity meant in terms of the behavior that we all we all kind of encounter and, sure. and, and interact with each other in teams and it was just it just made me grow grow up a bit basically it was a, it was a growing experience and then my my background and strength in arts really came through in my computing degree because there was no one quite like me in the class. No one had that strong interest in design, psychology, UI, mm. UX. So I was delivering projects that, you know, maybe weren't the most complicated algorithms, but, you know, were easy to use. And and like the, the, the students um, would look at it and they're like, this, is, this stands out. And wow. so, again, another way that diversity for me started to play a narrative in my own journey and realizing yeah this is actually important to have people who 
have totally different backgrounds yeah um and computing and the creation of of software um, absolutely so that was that yeah amazing <laughs> so that's and how i fell in love with it because i realized like yeah i do i have something to give here yeah. i have a place in this in this world um and that got me really excited that's fantastic and you know a lot of people often see the differences between art and computer science and it's quite obvious to a lot of people what those differences are but yeah. you clearly have a passion for the two of them so there must be some complementary areas like you've mentioned your your interest in art strengthened your interest in computer science and your ability yeah. to write better code do you see other parallels between the two sectors that um have made you into the ali watson you are today <laughs> i think some of the um some of the transferable type situations is with creativity usually the best creative stuff comes out when there's uncertainty when there's risk when there's restraints yeah that's when the best creative minds get to work and i think same with software engineering like when you have constraints risks uncertainty which is all the time in technology yeah um that's when you can be really smart about your solutions that when that's when you can become like a master of your craft and that's what i love about technology is even the most abstract way of looking at it writing a line of code there's a hundred ways to write that line of code and, yep. and not and not one of them is correct and that's important but the craft of that code the way that you write it how readable it is because and there's this funny there's a funny phrase in software engineering okay um and it's write code as if the next developer is seeing it is a mental case right <laughs> or as a, as a serial killer that's okay a, interesting a killer, right and so you have to be you have to be organized you have to be neat you have to be readable you have to craft this code so that when someone else picks it up they're not going to spend two hours just trying to decipher what it means sure but you have to write it like a letter top to bottom readable use use names that are meaningful um because coding is for humans yep um back end front end all of it um humans are at the center of that and so it takes someone um, and I think every software developer, every good software developer um, is a master of their craft. And I think the same way with art, um, that you can be a master of your craft. It's it's a tool um, to make like amazing, amazing stuff. That's so, great insight. That's amazing. Thank you yeah. for that. Um, so right after university, you started your career as a software engineer and you worked in various companies. Um, I might get the pronunciation wrong here, but um, Amor Group, Gale, Screen Media Design. Um, you were a senior .NET developer with DeepEnd. Um, you've had all these different, um, I guess, companies and you've been through various technical roles. What were your experiences in these companies like? Because I'm trying to trace a route from your inspiration um, for starting Code Like a Girl. And I presume that there were some yeah. uh, experiences and learnings and you know, part of the journey in your early days that have formed where you are today absolutely um yeah there's so many on that list eh? <laughs> there's a lot in the list yeah you've, you've um, done well, a lot I, from the get-go once i graduated i i got straight into it i, I did a, a, a summer placement i did a summer internship i went into a graduate role um and i think probably in my early career that's when it was that's when i was almost close to like quitting okay. because i remember my first job i was 21 and the people were lovely, but it was so male dominated. There was 40 people in this office. Now, the engineering sector was on its whole own building and it was linked to the other end of the business by okay. like a staircase. Right. <laughs> and so the other end of the building had marketing, it had all sorts, but we barely saw them. And in this building, it was like 40 men and me. Wow. And that is not an exaggeration. There was, when I joined that team, I was the only developer wow. in like a team of 40. And, and, there's so much to be said about that. It was hard to 
to to make friends at that first workplace not because the people weren't very lovely sure but i think when you go to work every day now weeks we spend how many days at work 260 days a year and you have to come to work and almost be a different version of yourself because mm. you can't fully be yourself because there's no one in there who wants to talk to you about the things that you really like talking about um that gets and relates to you on a, on a different level and I and I found that with those first couple of workplaces where I was a young girl just out of uni and I was working with sort of 25 upwards um usually white men sure <laughs> um and it was yeah it was really hard I, I would find myself and no fault of anyone just find myself like in the bathroom sometimes just crying not not having that support to go yep this is this is really hard like do because i think sometimes there's a difference in confidence levels with men and women that i've experienced just personally myself where i've not been able to like break down the barriers with people i've worked with and go like i is it just me okay <laughs> or is this like really hard let's talk about this and so i never formed those strong bonds early on in my career i never felt as a woman who needed that mentorship and support that i got it i found probably the hardest thing was that sometimes people felt a little bit awkward um there was definitely managers who found it quite hard to take me out for a coffee one-on-one who felt who I would watch you know sitting on the table of um one of my male colleagues you know Mm. chatting giving banter talking about drinks that they had at the weekend and it was really subtle it was always really subtle I would I would I never experienced any sexual harassment I never experienced anything that was like a real standout how dare he or there was never that it was all these little subtleties over the years where I realized I was being missed out of conversations or that people maybe never saw me for promotion or or that I myself could never see myself leading a team because already the challenge of just being the only woman on that team sure. was one enough to imagine myself being the only woman and leading the team that was a reality I could never picture for myself yep. and that frustrated me and I changed companies, I changed countries, and nothing changed. I was wow. always the only woman. And specifically, my, my role was a back-end engineer. And there's very few women in that role. Um, and that annoyed me as well because I just thought, why? You know, why is this happening? And the more I looked into it, the more I looked into the why, um, this is where I started to get really fired up because I realized this was this was early stuff. This was... This was the Spice Girls. This yep. was the Barbies. This was the 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 influences that had happened to me so early on. I hadn't realized how crucial they had become to me selecting my pathways, for me selecting art instead of computing to begin with. Sure. Like, why is it that computing had to be this accidental journey for me right. in order for me to find it? And there was a lot of women that I would meet and talk to about their careers, and the story was always quite similar. Oh, I was doing a marketing a degree and we did a module in computer science or, or programming and I fell in love with it. And I'm mm. like, of course, it's really fun and it's awesome and it's an incredible tool. And it's, you know what, it's it's one of the greatest wealth creators of our time. And yeah. It's, yeah, we want a piece of that pie. And so I started to just get really passionate about why and look into the problem. And then then I started to think, yeah, there's, there could be a solution here. Um, and so predominantly Code Like a Girl started 
when I had moved to Melbourne. Sure. And it was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And this was in 2015? This was in 2015. Yep. Um, and that was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back because it was just... It was just hard to start over again. Yep. Um, I had left all the, the networks that I'd built over time, my uni friends, my colleagues, um, these really strong bonds and, and relationships and groups of people who I would go to and be inspired by, yep. who I could talk to about my work. <laughs> now, yeah. the hardest thing about being a software engineer is when you go to like dinners. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> and people are like, what do you do for a living? Right. And you're like, well, I'm a programmer. <laughs> and usually the conversation shifts very, very quickly. What, why is that? I think it just is, that has a stigma. Okay. I think it has a stigma that it's a bit boring. Right. And I definitely, and maybe it's changing because of Silicon Valley making it all celebritizing it. And sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but when I was, when I was younger, it definitely felt like such a, like, snooze vest of a career. And I didn't get that, like, no one else kind of made me feel that proud of it. Which right. I think it's probably part of the reason, like, you know, you know, doctors, right? As soon as, like, even when you're dating, it's like, oh, you're dating a doctor, right? You've got right. this preconceived notion of them. Now, imagine you've just started dating a girl and, and it's like, you're a programmer, right. right? So there's this stigma and it's so annoying because it is, it's just not reasonable. It's like, I, I want a career that people get excited about that you can talk to at dinner tables. And I just didn't have that before. Uh, whereas now I've got the opposite problem. Yeah, got you've like, got everyone at your doorstep. <laughs> I've got the gender debate. Yeah. All dinner parties <laughs> I go to, it's great fun. Amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I just totally went on a tangent and I forgot what we were chatting about <laughs> yeah no no that, that's that's great and look like that that summarizes i think um mm. the the start of code like like the, the yeah. quote of like a girl movement um you know your early days watching your mom being inspired by her and her resilience um you know um raising yourself and your sisters mm. your time trying to break into the arts and facing rejection that has built that resilience in yourself to become yeah. a founder your your experience of the male dominant dominance in university and also uh, throughout your career as a software developer and software engineer so code like a girl started as a one-off event in 2015 in melbourne could you paint a picture of what it was like putting together the whole event what what was the the spark that said hey i'm going to start this event and what was it like during that first event? What, yeah, could you describe that to us? I could. I like remember it like it was yesterday. Um, so when I started looking into this issue, I was still working full time as a developer. And I had a female boss, which was really rare um, sure. and kind of awesome because she really could tell. I think that was the first boss that just felt took an interest in me, like just really a deeper level of interest of just not just do your work and that's what you're paid for. Okay. She, she had conversations with me, opened me up to like how to run a business. You know, she just organically through her leadership style really kind of opened my eyes a bit to a future beyond just being a developer. Um, and so when I came to her with the this concept of, you know, by the way, I think there's something we could do here and, and maybe it's just an event. Maybe it's just something small, like bringing women together. Um, but I've uncovered all this stuff and I'm like crazy excited about it. And I was like, can we use the studio? Um, so Deep End at the time, was just a small little studio in Cremon. And there was only, I think there was only 20 of us in the, in the company. Sure. Um, and the studio <laughs> meeting room was like, you could fit 10 people in there, okay? Yep. <laughs> it was very small. Small, yeah. And so she was like, sure, put it on meetups.com. Like, everything will be cool. cool. Wow. Um, and so we did. We just put it on meetups.com. And um, then, now I, I really was expecting like 10 people. I thought there's not that many 
of, of me around. Like, I'm sure there's not that many women in technology. Um, and within two weeks, we had over 100 RSVPs. Wow, that's amazing. It was shocking. I was like, what? That's is 10x. <laughs> it was crazy. So, yeah. um, so at that point, I went back to Kath and I was like, um, I don't think we can have this at the studio right. unless unless we want to cull it and like only take 10 of these women. Um, but, but Kath, there's like over 100 uh, RSVPs. Like, we're going to have to find a bigger venue. Um, so at that point, we touch base with inspire nine okay um who let us use their space yep. and we went big we got tote bags made up um so deep end sponsored the first event and we got tote bags made up we we had github as a sponsor as well amazing um, so that was new wow. i was like okay people actually would sponsor this this is cool yep um so we managed to cater it we managed to get alcohol from mountain goat and this was honestly my first i felt like i was throwing a party okay <laughs> Yep, yep. And I said, that's, I had that like fine. feeling cool. like, is anyone going to turn up? I mean, they say they're going to turn up, but are they going to turn up? <laughs> and so you go through all these nerves, same nerves as having a party. Um, and then we we decided, okay, what in terms of content, what are we going to talk about? Um, so I really wanted to get a really diverse group of women, all different parts of their career, to really just speak honestly about what it's been like um, in their career. And that's exactly what we did. I remember being wildly nervous because at the time, and I feel it a wee bit this morning, but I used to get really scared about public speaking. Okay. Like crazy nervous. Um, and anybody who knew me that night <laughs> will remember how wildly nervous I was. Um, but it it was, yeah, it was such a memorable night. I just remember sitting in this room of women who were so engaged, who were so respectful, who were all there for the same reason. And it was just this wave of of feeling like, oh, you know, we belong here. We do. And it was just so nice to see everybody and get this sense of a tribe that, where have we all been? You know, for the first time, I was sitting in a room full of computer scientists who were women. And and not all of our computer scientists, I'm sure. But, but that feeling is just so hard and un, it's untangible to, to, to explain, but it's... It's just a feeling of belonging, which I think, you know, I had went my whole career without feeling. And that's that that was an important turning point for me of realizing sure. the power of community, which I thought I knew what I was doing up until that point. And then when I felt it, I realized how important it was to come together, to talk, to share, to just even like be inspired by each other and, and keep each other going. Because a lot of these women were probably on the same boat as me alone on their team, just want to chat to another woman and find friendship in another woman and talk about her work with another woman yep. <laughs> and not <laughs> not have those glazed eyes. Sure, yeah. <laughs> because sometimes you, you feel like you're talking another language. You know, I, I started dating a software engineer about three years ago and it's yep. the first one I've ever dated. Right, okay. <laughs> I've stayed clear from them thinking, <laughs> no, I, w I wouldn't want to talk about my work with my partner. 24-7? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but actually I loved it and, and and I remember our first date where we were talking about web configs and like we could get each other's day and yep. there was so much like empathy because I knew he had a really tough day because I knew what he was talking about sure and he knew that I had a really tough day because he understood what I was talking about amazing and it's the same with friendships you know there are some people who you definitely don't want as your work like you're like separate work and friends but then sometimes it's nice to have girlfriends who also get your work and you can talk to and you can work on projects in your spare time. And and that social part of it was missing for a lot of us women who came that night. And yeah. so that's how it started. And that's why we like the energy 
is it is it detective? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was detective. So, that's that's great. Um, yeah, so we 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 committed, and that was important. That commitment. I had realized that yes, there was other organizations, there was international organizations and chapters, but the thing was they weren't regular enough. And if you want to build a community, you have to be there for them. You have to turn up. You have to commit. And that was um, that was the biggest promise we made, and we've committed to it since. Like, sure. From that first event, we have ran um, quarterly events since um, wow. in Melbourne. That's great. Yeah. And Code, Code Like a Girl started as an as a as an event, as a meetup, but it's since grown into something much more. It's grown into a movement. It's grown into, in in many ways, a startup that is on a growth trajectory. So, what really catalyzed that shift where you decided to then take on the helm of founder and CEO of this massive movement? Yeah. So I think what motivated the shift was. Now this is, I'm going to try and word this, which is not going to sound offensive. <laughs> no, please go for it. <laughs> I think for me, I had knew that this problem had been around for a really long time. Sure. And despite the the international chapters being here, there and everywhere, the volunteer-led communities, despite the efforts, we still weren't seeing change. And I said to myself, and as an as at the core of me, you know, I am an ambitious entrepreneur. Sure. And I was starting to get quite interested in business. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to start this, if I'm going to pour my entire life so far into this and dedicate volunteer nights and weekends, this has to change something. This has to actually change something. And for me, that was that was been my vision to really make turn the dial on this to actually make a change to the amount of women directly entering the workforce. And sure. So, um, that was kind of why we decided to go hard on it, like a like a startup, to go full speed. Um, scale it to go hard on it because this is a problem I care so deeply about and so far corporates were throwing some money at it people were volunteering their time but I thought no it needs dedicated resources it needs funding it needs people it needs force yep. um, if we really want to make change and I just didn't feel it was getting that just yet um, and Australia was so prime for it because there was nothing really that was hitting that kind of that coding niche of girls sure. um, throughout all of Australia. So we thought, hey, this is an opportunity for us to use our entrepreneurship and passion for this cause and give it all, we can, all, all that we can. Um, so from day one, we've we've always kind of had that structure of yep. founder-led, um, make sure this is sustainable. Sure. Um, so we've been privately funded. Okay. Um, we've built this team pretty much from zero, um, which Amazing. is kind of awesome. Um, but it's because we've been so interested in um, business processes and structures and we've taken this entrepreneurial view of it to go, well, if we can build an organization that's single purpose is to close the gender gap, we can throw money at it, we can throw um, strategy at it, we can throw people at it, and we could potentially actually make a change in Australia yep. um, if we give it our all. So that was the that was the the thought process. That's amazing. Doing it like that. And what's your vision be uh, what's your vision for Code Like a Girl for the next five years? What do you want to see out of it? So we're on a pretty um, strong projection of of being kind of national and, and we've got some some international plans at sure the um but really just known nationally for making impact in this space so currently uh, we have a huge skill shortage in australia within the technology industry um by 2023 we need well we have a deficit of 750,000 ict workers that wow. we need to find from somewhere um in order for our economy in order for our businesses to have talent to make their 
you know to to work on their technology and their solutions so um for us we want to we want to actually um provide more women because women are a massively untapped resource um and so the internship program that we run is something that we are getting fully behind we want to roll out to a national level um our 12-month goal for that alone is is placing 100 women directly into um it it roles yep um, which at the moment is isn't too ambitious. Yep. <laughs> um, so I think five years from now is just having um, national coding camps in every state. Sure. Um, Melbourne, Sydney, and Canberra are, are what we currently um, do for them. Yep. And so, yeah, just kind of on a national level. That's great. And could you explain more about these coding camps? What do you do during these coding camps? Yes, I love the coding camps. I love talking about the coding camps. Awesome. My favorite part of the business. <laughs> um, so the coding camps came from, um, so we started in junior workshops, they were called. We okay. were the first um, organization in Australia to do uh, classes for girls and coding, um, which was awesome. But we felt those touch points were just not enough. You know, the kids were coming two hours spending it with the team three hours sometimes four hours but it just still still wasn't enough to make sure that we knew that we were getting them because only three percent of high school girls are considering it as a career for them um and we have to change that we have to get that up a bit <laughs> so two hours is not going to change that um so we decided let's change the format let's get these girls for three full days let's get them into some of australia's top successful tech companies for three days so that they can go inside and see what it's like to, to work at a tech company and during those three days and usually they're themed so the, the upcoming camp is called magic and mischief okay cool that's so, a that's a cool title <laughs> it's a cool title the kids love it um and so the thing is they, they spend this time with us during their school holidays so the content needs to be stuff that they can't get in school it also needs to be stuff that they can't just get on google so we have to we spend a lot of time coming up with content that's really engaging for girls now that doesn't mean turning it pink sure that just means having a theme having purpose having something that means something other than just code because for them that is for kids for any kid that's just not that interesting yeah if they know they're building something because that something is to um you know help a cause in some sort of way or it has a purpose um, sure it, it kind of changes things so magic and mischief um over the three days, they'll be learning Python, HTML, CSS. Amazing. And using those coding skills to create things like um, a homework excuse generator. It's yep. one of the projects. Um, we had a theme that was Little Hackers where we had them um, track IP addresses. And okay, that's hack cool. And each other's little database. So they wow. got them to set up databases and hack each other's databases. And they just love that stuff because for them, it's a game. You know, it's it's actually, you don't have to dumb things down or paint it pink for, for these girls um, or for kids. You know, coding doesn't really need to be dumbed down. They're actually pretty savvy. Yep. Um, I remember chatting to someone once. It was like an old tech director and they... They talked about how their grandpa had taught them to play chess at four years old, um, which some people think is quite complex. And I asked him, his little girl was like seven at the time. And I said, have you taught your little girl to code? She's like, oh, no, she's too young for that. And I said, mate, you learned to play chess at four. At four, yeah. That's <laughs> so true. So I think there's a misconception that right. adults who are not tech savvy, they probably believe coding is quite complex. Sure. Maybe too complex for kids. Um, but it's not at all. You, There's there's so many ways you can break down coding to teach a kid. Um, and the things that they come up with <laughs> when they have those skills is insane. Like, I mean, we have a lot of unicorns and a lot of Harry Potter websites. Yep. <laughs> Just straight out the back. Um, but it's... 
I think it's just it's just amazing the different and the uniqueness every kid is unique and every every one of them has different passions and yeah when you give them those tools they use those tools to just create what they're passionate about and that's that's probably my favorite part about the coding camps is the creations that these kids come up with and how they utilize these newfound skills and and the friendships they build is, yep. is so important um one little girl she came home from our coding camp and she said mom i didn't know there were girls like me wow now that that like that like so every time i think about that it just gives me like tingles because yeah for a lot of these girls they are in their classes alone they are being probably taught by a man in a class with boys who are maybe maybe already quite familiar with technology sure and that's one of the biggest barriers for girls is and it was the same with me in computer science that first year i was so far behind everybody there was boys in the class who had been coding since age 10. And here was me learning it from the first time at age 19. Now you're being assessed and almost not competing, but you're 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 in this class with other, everyone else and you've went from being the top grade person at your high school to being the bottom grade person in your in your computer science class. Sure. And you look around thinking, how did this happen? Did I miss something? Yeah, we missed something. Society is yep. <laughs> it's not helping us girls. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so and it's the same with these girls in school at the moment because when the computer breaks, parents are handing the, the remote to the boy in the in the family. And, yep. and we have to just stop all this kind of assuming that technology and hardware and um, science even is an innate thing that mostly boys have. It's not innate. Um, it's definitely something that can be conditioned and encouraged and learned. And it's all about that kind of growth mindset. So that's yep. that's one of our biggest challenges with the, the coding camps is a lot of our girls come to the table with growth mindset, which is awesome. Yep. But you will get the odd one who doesn't and it's real fixed and the first hurdle they fall and you have to be there to catch them and to encourage them and to maneuver themselves into a growth mindset and that's difficult Um, and that takes three days and that's why we were like this is important work that we're doing these girls are finding their tribe we're we're teaching them how to move themselves into a growth mindset that say they don't end up coding in the end that in itself is such an amazing place to be um for the challenges that life will throw at them sure and addressing the gender diversity gap is obviously a very big task and very big undertaking that will take years to to solve how do you define success in that arena yeah um so we put i mean it's so overwhelming you're so right like sometimes i think how do i even why am i <laughs> it's, it's a big problem that needs solving yeah it's a big problem and it's one that you take home with you every day as well right. i think sometimes the more research i do in gendered studies it's like you've got these lenses on now and i can't see past it even when i'm watching tv even when i'm doing um just anything you know you've got these gender lenses on that you can't stop seeing the stereotypes and and how these play out in society um oh my goodness what was your question um <laughs> how do you define success oh yeah so we um probably about six months ago maybe sure. maybe 12 months ago um we recruited the help of a social impact um measurement company okay consultancy um what was really important to us and i think i maybe mentioned this was I don't want to do something for the sake of getting in the headlines or being like, you know, known as a girl who's getting girls. I want to, I want to measure and I want to make sure that I'm on track and I want to make sure that we're making a difference. Um, and so we have a quite robust social impact framework that goes into, um, 
our whole processes from start to finish. So these little girls, they, they have a, they have surveys that they fill out for us. And we're, I remember measuring things like um, that sense of belonging that we talked about, which is very important for little girls to have at that age. Um, we're measuring confidence levels. So yep. um, even in mathematics, girls have a lower confidence rate than boys. Um, we're measuring... Um, what are we measuring? <laughs> a lot of things. A lot of things, basically. Yep. We we measure these um, from camp to camp. Okay. Every engagement that we have with anyone, whether it's an adult um, or a student. So That's there's great. a lot of like of measurements there. And, and we probably do come from, at this point, a, a real social impact place. The measurements we have in place, the goals that we have in place. As, um, and that's kind of why we call ourselves a social enterprise. That's yep. where that comes from. And so that actually leads me to my next question as well. What's your approach to the growth and strategy of Code Like a Girl? Because a lot of startups often have the same kind of metrics that they use, mm. the same strategy. SaaS startups will follow the same strategy. Uh, B2B startups will follow the same strategy. But yeah. you're sort of like a hybrid of startup and social enterprise. Yeah. So how this, how, what's your approach to that? Mm. Um. Well, I think naturally the social part comes into play because we never forget why we started it. And because of the work we do, it's it's always there. Um, I guess in ter- we, we, we have a lot of support. Um, I think from day one, we recognize that I'm a developer and my co-founder is um, human services background, HR, people and culture. So we knew there was always like so many missing skill sets sure. in the team. Um, so we have a board of advisors who we are like our accountability group, which okay. is awesome. They're, we call them at all times in the, in the day. And they, That's great. Yep. It's, it's incredible. Um, we've been on several like kind of startup accelerator type programs. So yep. we've in the very, very early days before we actually established um, ourselves as a business, we did the Foundation for Young Australians YSP, which in itself was such an eye-opening experience. Um, we did that in collaboration with PwC's 21st Century Minds programs. It was like a 12-month, year-long um, accelerator, but it was really from ideation kind of point of view. We did that. That probably was a great starting point for us to even establish the business. From then on, um, other program that we took part on was Launch Vic collaborated with Denali Ventures and EM Advisory and we did one of their programs called Invest Ready and so that wasn't because we were trying to get to an Invest Ready stage I mean we technically kind of are but it was more so that we could understand what are our processes that we're currently missing what is it what stage do we really need to get to to get to a point where someone like an investor an impact um, social impact investor would be interested um, and that was really educational because we didn't really have a lot of confidence in what we were doing. And okay. we've, we've really been very heart driven and ran this just from like a very ad hoc kind of like, oh, we'll just do this and we'll see how it goes. And and it's evolved so much um, over the last two years. And I would probably say more so in the last 12 of just yep. just educating ourselves. You know, yep. sometimes people will give you advice and you you listen yeah <laughs> and you'll be really open you just have to be receptive to it yeah but sometimes sometimes it's not enough sometimes you do really have to live through it just convince yourself like and so there's been a lot of lived experience and education that we've had and at the end of last year even we looked at the business and we thought right what was our revenue cool that was pretty reasonable how did we get that revenue? And we looked and there was like 17 different avenues of wow. revenue streams, which is crazy. And 
I, I couldn't put my finger on why I was so exhausted at the end of last year. Couldn't, I, like, I, I knew I was always busy. That sort of explained it. <laughs> and I looked at this, I looked at these revenue streams and I thought, that's insane. Yeah. Like, no one would take us seriously seeing how many ways that we managed to get money last year. Like, we were trying to be everything to everyone. We were trying to please this community that we grew. We were trying to say yes to things. And you do feel that way. You feel very committed to your customer. Gotcha, yeah. To put it plainly. Um, and so we were saying yes to a lot of things and we decided at the end, end of last year to totally laser focus to just cut 60% of them wow. and focus on three services which were our coding camps our internship and our events and how do you decide that what was the process of actually saying no because that often is the hardest part for a lot oh, yeah. of people yeah and it was by all means not an easy decision it was emotional because some of the services we did we had a team who loved it we loved it the community loved it so the process had to be impact profitability and scalability right so those were the three pillars we kind of looked at was this actually making an impact to the mission that we committed to closing the gender gap and was it and usually most of the ones that were like a no got scrapped so that kind of was a very big priority for us like if we genuinely mean what we say and we want to close the gender gap is doing a two-hour html and css introduction for someone 18 and plus going to change that or is an internship really going to change that and we mm. knew the internship was highly impactful sure. we knew the coding camps were medium impactful because we can't promise and we can't measure like hugely that these eight-year-olds that we teach python to are definitely going to choose a career in technology we can't really it's a long measurement it's like a long-term goal um so that was that was quite hard to measure the impact um scalability we were working quite well with that that's why we were like we love that work that we do. It is so important that we're investing in the next generation. And scaling that was actually quite easy for us. Um, scaling the internship is difficult and yep. we're still on that road. Um, and the events, we couldn't take away the events. The yep. events is like that retention piece. It's the community. It's it's also um, our biggest asset, the community. Sure. The, yeah. These women drive strategy. They drive, they're our, they're our insights. They're our advocates. So we couldn't leave the events behind, um, even though they weren't. <laughs> particularly profitable um so yeah that was kind of our decision yeah that's great so it sounds like you've developed a framework or you've decided and distilled what was important to code like a girl and yeah, your mission totally. and you've used that to, to inform what revenue streams you should say no to and yes to yeah. and um that's actually a good lesson for our listeners out there yeah. um you know one of the things that you've done really well from our time speaking is building that community building those partnerships, forming those advisors. How do you approach creating those lasting partnerships, not just with people, but with also the companies? And how do you bring these people along on the mission? Is there, an, is there a way that you've uh, managed to inspire them? Because for a lot of startups, they often find that to be a very difficult part as well, creating those real lasting relationships. Yeah, no, it's not It's not easy. And, yep. we've and whilst it maybe looks, we've made it look easy, it's definitely not. Um, yeah, you do I make think. it look easy. <laughs> I think probably from the get-go is listening. Um, we are not a big fan. Like, we, we maybe do, like, cold emails to reach out in the first place. Um, but a yep. lot of our strong leads, they've came to us because they've heard of what we do. Um, so we've been very lucky in in the press that we've had and, and the awareness and, and that presence. But ultimately, it comes down to listening to them. So with all of our, our partners, we understand why they've – like, we have a, a real understanding and transparency with them of why they've actually partnered with us. Sure. Because – Sometimes people will hide behind decks mm. and hide behind goals, but actually um, 
to understand why they're really, really partnering with you so that you can either keep that promise because um, you do not want to partner with someone and then under deliver because you're not going to get them renewed. The time it takes to get a new partner on is so much more than just renewing a current partner. So you want to make sure straight away that you're aligned in those expectations. So every partner, every tech partner we've had on board, it's like, well, why are you partnering with Code Like a Girl? Sometimes it's for corporate responsibility. They get that they have to invest in their local tech talent. And they know that Code Like a Girl are specifically doing that for women. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of trust there that we deliver that kind of promise, um, which is what we do best. Yep. <laughs> so a lot of our partners come from that point of view. Some partners come from a recruitment point of view, a hiring brand. So with partnerships, sometimes they want to be seen um, as truly backing what we do because okay. they want to they want to send a message. They want to send a message to their workforce, their current workforce, and their future workforce that they care about this problem. Um, so there's that. There's the, usually those are the two avenues that someone is coming to partner with Code Like a Girl. Our job is to inspire them, to give them hope that this big problem, this big gap that we mm. have can be solved, but it'll take time. It's a tiny tweaks make big changes and they are contributing to that change. And so it's about inspiring them. Um, and and lastly, it's, it's about engaging them. We find many ways to engage our partners, whether it's getting them to set up a careers corner at the events. We have about 50% of our attendees are women who are, are curious, who are, who are finding a safe place that they can come along and ask questions about the tech industry. A lot of them have um, questions around, do I need to learn? What language should I learn? How does my GitHub look? What is the technical tests at PwC like? So it's just all these kind of different questions they have. So we utilize our partners to be there on the ground on the night to be able to answer those questions and engage with our community and, and not just be seen as a logo on a, yep. on a deck or on a slide. Um, that's important to us. So yep. that engagement is is great because they see that we're keeping to our promise. They see the, the change we're making and they're invested personally. Um, my last advice is don't just stick to the one contact. Um, many a time we have had a really great relationship with one person and they love us and then they leave. Yep. <laughs> And that is, uh, that's going to bite you on the bum. You have to, to really. And so another strategy we use is when we do sign a partner, either before or after, we do a company-wide presentation because I think there's a big education piece, particularly with them, for, with them, our male allies. Um, there's a lot of bad stuff that's happened in the press, like the Google memo. It's yeah. just an example of, of a lack of education around why why not women in tech? And so sure. some people have ideas, um, but we have research and we have um, stats and we have evidence and anecdotes. And we have this amazing narrative that we find really helpful to get that buy-in from the staff, um, which makes partnerships long lasting um, because they get they get the, the story from my story, but they also get the story from the little kids coming to the coding camps. Yep. Um, we host the coding camps at yep. some of our partners' premises. That's amazing. That's great. And so there's just this really strong, like they see it. They know where their money's going. They can see that the change they're making is right in front of them. And they're just so invested, which is lovely because it makes our job easy because it means we can concentrate on what we do well and deliver the services. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's not easy though. Yep. by any means but Again, that's we, say, we sound like we've got it yep. nailed, but, believe me, we don't. <laughs> but that's great advice for our listeners out there and um ali we've actually got time for only two more questions okay. but um i think i want to round it up to one of the the most important questions out there which is what do you think are some of the biggest challenges out there that are stopping gender diversity from being achieved um, and what can we as a society do to help fix that problem 
Yeah, that's a really big question. It is a big question. Um, it's really multifaceted. So one of the things that we can definitely do is provide role models to our kids, both genders, provide them with visible female role models. Um, and so there are many women, in particular local Australian women, um, who are in the technology industry doing incredible things, starting their own companies, running their own cryptocurrency companies sure. and blockchain companies. There's so many of them. So it's about making sure that um, if you do have little girls and little boys that they get exposure to these role models. Um, we're seeing a really lovely shift in culture right now where um, Stories for Rebel Girls is a perfect example of a book that provides these role models in a story and narrative way that kids would, like that you could easily get an adult to read to a kid. Okay. Um, so this is a nice culture shift that we're seeing and, and the feminist and Me Too movement and everything that's happening right now is really important to this shift that we need. Um, but it's a long way off to know how that that will all turn out sure so it's not enough to just go right culture's changing we're all a bit more progressive now <laughs> things will work out um so that's not enough there's also the the toys that toys and magazines and, and movies that we expose our kids to and mm. um, when i was growing up i had magazines that would tell me how to wear makeup how to get boys attention how to pick a swimsuit for my body shape right so that kind of information is so toxic to to children um and so just being a bit more deliberate and what what toys you're giving to your children. Problem solving is such a key skill to becoming a great programmer. Now, anyone can learn it at any age, but if you really want your kid to, to naturally want to be in technology, start them problem solving really early. There's incredible toys out there that kids and girls love. Little yep. Bits is an example. It's electronics, it's plug and play. You can do some seriously cool stuff with this. With this okay, toy. is it called Little Bits again? Little yep. Bits sure. is a yep. NYC um, startup, um, female founder. Okay. And I think 40% of their, their sales are, are girls. Wow. Um, so it's great. That's amazing, it's, yeah. It's very gender neutral. Um, Goldie Blocks, such another cool toy where yep. it's kind of like, it's very like girls are used to, like the packaging, the way it looks is a very stereotypical female toy, but sure. it's instead of just having a castle, it's building a castle. Oh, it's yeah. building like electronics and mechanics to the castle and having figurines that play in the castle. So it's so again, it's teaching girls in a world that they know yep. and not trying to make them and push them into a square. You know, they're right. they're their own people and they deserve, they deserve toys that teach them programming and problem solving and these key skills that doesn't change who they are, yep. you know? So um, yeah, so really being deliberate about what you're giving your children um, and encourage them. So if they do express... Um, or have questions about technology don't be that parent <laughs> don't be that parent that says oh that's too hard or that that terrifies me I know that it can be scary navigating a world where you have these children who are digital natives they have grown up with like iPads from the, from very young age and yep. I understand that parents um, and older adults they get really scared about technology because it's such a new thing for them mm. and so you'll have I guess in those instances where a child expresses interest in technology or has questions about the internet instead of kind of telling them it's too hard or or, or being too vulnerable with them and, sure. and their own insecurities about technology trying to to really show them um, a bit of strength and be a role model yourself around technology and, and get excited with them I definitely think something that really was I found difficult um, was just that lack of encouragement from peers from, yep. from family members from peers from friends who just didn't really get it and didn't want to try um and so yeah encouragement role models and um yeah that's kind of stuff you can do for younger people when it comes to the workplace um 
probably some of the things that helped me in my journey and and those moments of isolation and those moments where I needed I needed that support and that friendship is don't be try and try and get over your your introvertedness or try and take the girl on the team out for a drink just one on one she doesn't want to date (laughs) she just wants to have a friend just really kind of putting yourself in another people's shoes um minority um and it could be any minority if you Mm. if you you find that someone in the group or your team um is is different like embrace that totally like um kind of i guess contribute to the culture i think sometimes we think culture is leadership top down everybody has a chance to change culture in a team and i think technically with technical teams um everybody plays a part in creating that environment that is great to learn in um and i think particularly when we're not stressed when we're not worried when we're not feeling um alone is when we learn best because we're relaxed we're a safe psychological yeah. space i think there's a community of support around there's them. a community of support yeah. there's you feel safe to fail um and mm-hmm. if you feel you're and i think sometimes with programming and my experience was being a developer it was very competitive and sometimes mm. you would have like you'd have some people who are quite snobby about languages <laughs> i don't know if you've ever like it's not even a thing like it's a thing and so like just being a bit more open you know being a bit more vulnerable and being okay with it which i know doesn't come naturally for a lot of people but it definitely provides like an environment that is just great to learn in um because coding is learning it's a life it's a lifetime of learning um so that's my advice <laughs> thank you ali i'm sure there are a lot of people out there who want to contribute but have nowhere uh, yeah. no idea where to start or they're not aware of the issues so thank you for that really insightful insightful view you live and breathe this every day so it's yeah. great to have your your thoughts on this and um which leads me to my last question if someone wanted to get involved whether it was an individual or a company or a startup if they wanted to get involved with the girls in tech movement and to support what quote like a girl is doing yeah. what should they do so I think they should go to our website. Yep. <laughs> so codelikeagirl.org. We have just renewed our partnerships for 2019 and 20. So if you're a company, please get in touch. If you're an individual, um, we are looking, we are recruiting in four states at the moment. Okay. So um, check out our team page. Um, you'll find some information about roles that we have going. Um, we predominantly look for developers and educators. Um, we have a few other roles coming up soon, which are Great. inside of those. So keep an eye out. Um, but yeah, I guess from a very small scale, like us on Facebook, give us a shout out, share. Those are wee small little ways that individuals can also help. These these measurements, these um, metrics are, are ultimately really important at the end of the day when you are trying to grow a company. Um, you have no idea just how a small like or follow makes a difference to the way that we can pitch ourselves to companies and grow our community. So lots and lots of ways. Amazing. So for listeners out there who want to get involved in this uh, extremely important movement, head over to codelikeagirl.org and follow Ellie's advice on uh, how to get involved. Ellie, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your insight and um, hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to People Building Businesses. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. If you want to get in touch with us with guest suggestions or feedback, email peoplebuildingbusinesses at ybfventures.com. Thanks for listening.